look to the person to your right and say, I'm glad you're here. Look to the person to your left and say, I'm glad you're here. Now, look to the person to your right and say, I doubt it. And to your left and say, I doubt it. That's the series that we're in right now. And today, we're going to look at insecurities. But over the last few weeks, if you're joining us for the first time, or if you haven't been with us, we started on Easter and we talked about doubt. We believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the song that prepared us for communion today tells the gospel story. The power of the cross. The resurrected Savior and Lord. And yet, after he had appeared at least 10 to 15 times, some of his apostles, some of his disciples still doubted. And so, I just want to encourage you that if you have some doubts, this is an opportunity to grow deeper in your faith, to, to take some time to take what is really true and what you have been taught that isn't really true and discard what you've been ta- taught to keep what is true. And we called that last week excavation. And we talked about deconstructionism. And, and for some of you who've been around for a while, you just think that's old-fashioned doubt. And you would be correct. But, but there's an ulterior purpose in renaming something and redefining something that doesn't have an end goal that leads to confusion and separation from God. And that's concerning to me, and I hope it is to you as well. So we live in this atmosphere of doubt in our culture, and sometimes in our churches, on whether they stand for the Word of God, believe that the Word of God is true, and all of those filters that surround all of that. But most of the time, for me myself, and maybe for you as well, I, I find myself not do- doubting God, like some people do, but some people find themselves doubting themselves. And so, when we look at that, like I said, if you're uh, filling out your outline, some people are fa- uh, find themselves doubting God, but the next slide is that they find themselves doubting themselves, or I find myself doubting myself more than doubting God. And, and isn't that true sometimes of ourselves, that we doubt our, ourselves rather than God? And again, I want to go to my Bible with you this morning. And uh, I don't know about you, but I know my insecurities, my critical thoughts, and there are times when I don't like myself. I had some of those moments this morning. Now, how many of you, let me just ask this, I want, I want some audio, audience engagement or congregational engagement. How many of you had your air conditioning on already this spring? Okay, some of you. How many have had, turned your heat back on this last week? How many of you don't know what to do with your thermostat right now? Okay, 
And that's just part of being a Hoosier. And I just want to congratulate you for being here today in spite of the ups and downs. But a lot of people experience ups and downs all the time. And it is in relationship to their own insecurities and their own doubts. And sometimes I don't like what I say. You ever get in that spot where you say something and you realize, mm-mm, wrong direction, wrong words at the wrong time. Or you say the right words, but you don't like the way you said it. Were you ever, have you ever been there? I know that God knows all of my faults. And at the same time, I know that he loves me but I can't imagine why he'd use me to the depth of my soul. Have you ever been there? I want to encourage you today that if you've ever felt insecure, inadequate, or insufficient, then this message is for you. If you've ever felt insecure, inadequate, or, or insufficient, I've been there, haven't you? And... And most of us, if we're really, really honest, in the depth of our soul, are, are insecure and, and feel inadequate at times. And that's a challenge because we want to display confidence and boldness and security in our lives. We think that if God wants something done, he could find someone way better than me to do it. You ever feel that way? We think... After what I've done, why would God use me? But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul, a murderer of Christians, who stood beside as he watched one of the bright and brilliant disciples of Christ, Stephen, get stoned and consented with his stoning, he says this, And I think he was writing it to himself as much as he does for us. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God? Say, that's a little weak for a Bible-believing church. I don't know, has the cold gotten to you this morning? Let's try that again. Do we believe that? Oh, much better. All right. This word masterpiece that Paul uses comes from the Greek. It's poema. And, And what it means is a creation with a designated purpose, workmanship, and masterpiece. And, and what he's saying here is this, that you are God's poetic workmanship. You are God's poetry. Now you've heard, heard, have you ever watched anybody run and say something like, they are poetry in motion. Or a ballerina or an ice figure skater, something like that. And you say, that, that is poetry in motion. Or a basketball player or a baseball player. God sees us as poetry in motion as we are in Christ Jesus. And a lot of times our negative self-talk gets in the way of hearing 
what God thinks about us. We allow our insecurities to override. You are custom designed, tailor made by the master's hand. And don't you ever forget it. God gave you the right personality, the right gifts, the right mindset. You have the right temperament. You were born at the right time. And why all of this? To do good works. We have the opportunity to do good and find good every day. And only you can do that good. So, who does God most often use? Who does God most often use? First, I'd like to look at is that God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. Do you ever feel unlikely? I do. Ten years ago, when, or 12 years ago, when I became senior pastor, I felt really unlikely. And I would walk into the church every morning, and here I was, here I was, I'd been the youth pastor, the youngest on staff, walking into the building, having recently been voted in by the congregation, challenged in many ways, knowing all my weaknesses and all my insufficiencies. And I would just smile, and I would say, God, you have a sense of humor. And I would think it was so funny. And at the same time, God has done that all along. Look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 6 and 7. And when they came, and, and he looked on Eliab, and, and this is the prophet Samuel going to Jesse, and Jesse's family, all the sons, he lined up, but he left David out in the field because God couldn't possibly use him. He was the most unlikely to be used. And he looked on Eliab. This is what Samuel did. He looked on Eliab and, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Surely that's the Lord's anointed. Surely that's going to be the next, next king. But, it, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. I'm reminded of... Uh, I, I, who is the Marvel hero that carries this shield? Captain America. Captain America. Do you remember that little clip where Captain America is this little scrawny kid and they have him lined up and, and, and the drill sergeant throws a fake grenade out and, and the little scrawny kid is the only one that jumps on the grenade and everybody else scatters. And, and, and he's yelling, the little scrawny guy, Captain America, is screaming, Get away, get away! Because he's wanting to save their lives. And the drill sergeant doesn't want to give it to him, the little scrawny guy. But yet he had the heart. And that's what God saw in David. And that's what God sees in you. God loves to use those who are overlooked by others. Ever feel overlooked? God specializes in using the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. 
God can use anyone, and he wants to use you. So he uses the unlikely, but God also uses the insecure. God uses the insecure. In in Scripture, if you look and you study, it's it's like that all the time. If you'll turn to Judges chapter 6, verse 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And, and, and I want you to, to, to add context to this moment in Scripture. <coughs> Gideon is thrashing wheat in the wine press. He's probably underground. No one can see him. He is hiding because he is afraid. He's insecure. The Midianites have taken over Israel. It's no longer safe. And the angel of the Lord shows up and he looks at Gideon and he says, Mighty man of valor. And Gideon's looking around and saying, Who are you kidding? I am not mighty. I am hiding. I'm just doing my best to survive. And then... Uh, Gideon says this, he says, And where are all his wonderful deeds? He's questioning, he's doubting God, that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the, this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Gideon's insecurities shouted louder than God's affirmation at that moment. Sometimes our insecurities do that. And then he argues with God again. In verse 15, he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I don't know how much affirmation Gideon needed. But when God said he was going to be with him, that was a promise. Whenever God calls you, the devil's going to try to stop you. Every time. If you're doing something for the Lord, there's going to be resistance. Satan doesn't want you to accomplish things for God. And one of the devil's greatest tools is to attack your self-worth. Think about it. God didn't want to use you. The devil wouldn't be fighting so hard against you. There wouldn't be that spiritual battle going on. Now, this sense of insecurity may mean that you may not have a lot of confidence in yourself and that's that's true a lot of the times but but our the word confidence comes from the latin it means confide and and confide con means with and fide is faith but but we walk in or with faith 
It doesn't believe, mean that you believe in you. Does that make sense? It's not that we believe in ourselves. Real confidence is when you put your faith in what God says about you. Do you believe that? Gideon said, I am the least likely in all my clan, in all my tribe. But God had other plans. Gideon was about to learn God often uses the least to do the most. Isn't that amazing? So God uses the unlikely, God uses the insecure, and God uses failures. And that's hard to own, isn't it? That sometimes we fail. And, and my goal in life is to fail forward. And, and I believe a lot of times success is just getting up one more time after a failure and learning from that failure and going again. It's being resilient or more resilient. They did a study with kids and they were, they were testing them. And, and really what they found is good grades, good scholarship, education is a failure experience. And the kids that did the best were the ones that got up after their failures and kept on trying. Peter was a failure. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 60 through 62. Peter was a failure. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. He is denying the Lord. Somebody said, aren't you a follower of the, follower of the Galilean? Jesus was at trial. Peter was out in the garden outside of, of the high priest's house or outside of Caiaphas's house. And he's being challenged. And, and, and he was being threatened by a 14-year-old girl. Here he was, this brawny fisherman, leader of the disciples, and he was threatened. And he says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And listen to this. And the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Jesus had already told him he was going to deny him three times. Peter said, no, it will never happen. But in that moment, their eyes locked. What do you think Jesus was, was thinking in that moment? Do you think Jesus was thinking, Peter, see, I told you so. Or, or was that gaze one of love and understanding that Peter had failed, but a willingness and a grace to restore him? And in that moment, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. He felt like a failure. He had betrayed the Lord. Now the question then becomes, have you ever blown it? Have you ever felt ashamed? Have you ever felt unworthy? Have you ever battled addiction, betrayed your family, crushed those who you love? It might be a private failure. It might be a secret addiction. But you didn't get caught. But yet it weighs on you daily that you might get found out, that you might get caught. And you know, the scripture is true. It says our, 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 our hidden sin, every sin will find you out. 
That's why we need to confess and ask forgiveness and repent. Now, Peter was a failure by all accounts. But who does the Lord call on the first day of the church to preach the gospel? It was the unlikely, the insecure, the failure, Peter. And when they responded, the crowd responded on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit rushed on those who were in the upper room and they began to preach. And they were convicted of heart and mind. They believed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and had the opportunity to respond. They were convicted of heart and said, Brothers, what shall we do? It was Peter who said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you think that Peter said that lightly? Do you you believe that Peter said that nonchalantly? that, That it wasn't words that he believed and that he had experienced? No, it was because he knew what it was to be restored, to to repent, to be transformed by the power of God. Who better to preach about forgiveness than the one who had been forgiven much? You see, God uses people who fail, and there aren't any other types of people around, is there? And yet we all have our excuses for why we don't do what we are called to do and the good that we need to do. You see, Jacob was a cheater, Miriam was a gossip, Moses was a murderer, Martha was a warrior, David had an affair. Thomas was a doubter, Jonah ran from God, Paul killed Christians, Elijah was depressed. Do you feel better now? God used them all because they are an example because God wants to use you. Only you can do what you can do. You touch lives that I will never touch, that I will never know. In places I will never be and I will never go. Only you can do that. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what scripture says about you. You are an ambassador of the Most High God. You are his masterpiece, his workmanship, and God doesn't make junk. He is the master craftsman, infinitely powerful, all perfect, all holy. There will be no other ever like him. He is without beginning, he is without end, and he loves you. God wants you to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you. From the creation, the beginning of time, he created you to do good works. And my encouragement to you is kind of in the negative. Stop doubting yourself. Hear this. Stop doubting yourself. Now, here's... Here's the main point. This is the big idea of the whole message. Right here. When you doubt yourself, you are really doubting God. Ever think about it like that? When you doubt yourself, you are really doubting God. Hear this. You're not what you did. You're not what they 
did to you. You are not what they said about you. You are not what you think about you. You are what God says about you. You need to believe it, don't you? Will you please stand as I pray? God and Father, we thank you that you use the unlikely and the insecure and failures. Father, that we have hope in the sense that you reclaim us and call us your own. That, Father, that we are a broken people, and that's why Jesus came and died on the cross, that we might know you. And, Father, today, for those that are struggling, Lord, and, and Father, for those that uh, have a lot of doubts in themselves, that, Father, that you would get, give them the confidence that they can have in you, that your spirit will be enough and will be flowing through them, that as they live, that they can be confident that you are using them. And Father, that we will not buy the lies of Satan, but we will believe your promises and your word. Father, for those that are far from you that don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, again, we just pray that your spirit would call them, that they would have a change of heart and a change of mind, that they would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For those, Father, that feel condemned and unforgiven, Father, that they will believe in your word that you are a father that calls all, everyone, including them unto yourself, that you are a loving God who forgives, who, who, who helps in the transformation process, who wants his children to know him and, and wants us to spend eternity with you. Father, we just pray that you would do your work through your spirit and through your power and through your might this day. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.